Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means taking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your own reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hi, it's Rob Moore here and welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. Now, uh, this is a bit of a, a journey of nostalgia for me. I must admit I'm getting some of my own needs met doing the podcast for you uh, because I get to interview some people that have had a big impact in my life. And one of those uh, was Nick Faldo. So he was my golfing hero uh, as a young lad and an, an aspiring pro. Uh, as you'll hear from the interview, it's not actually with Nick, but it's someone very much related, linked to him. Uh, I had some mindset issues when I was younger, which probably didn't help me. Uh, and so this interview is with David Ledbetter. Now, David Ledbetter um, was uh, a professional golfer himself um, on the European and South African tours uh, and ended up sort of pivoting into being a coach. And he's coached many of the best players in the world, both men and women. In fact, he's got 26 major championship titles and 150 worldwide tournament victories um, of the students. When I say students, I mean the best golfers in the world. Um, so that's a pretty amazing feat. And of course, he's probably his most famous student is Nick Fowder, who he actually does talk to about quite a lot in the interview. So um, it's really exciting for me and hopefully for you to uh, go into this interview. Um, someone said to me recently that they're really buzzing about the diverse guests that I'm getting on the show. And that is my goal for the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast. So I could just go and get entrepreneurs who've built million or 10 million or 100 million or even billion pound businesses. And I'm sure I will get many of those in the future. And we've had many too. But I really want to get a diverse range of interesting, inspiring, unique, disruptive, laterally positioned individuals uh, to interview on the podcast to keep it fresh for you, to be able to look at it from a different perspective. Um, and so I hope that you feel that this meets the criteria too. Um, I also want to let you know that some of these interviews now could go on for hours and hours and hours. Uh, and both Jordan Peterson, who um, you, you just heard recently, if you haven't yet, go back and listen to that interview. And also this one with David. We could have gone on for hours, but were literally interrupted um, by agents, you know, or assistants uh, basically telling us we've got to stop because these other people have got things to do in their lives. So um, I have a few issues around that in that I have been left sometimes frustrated of wanting to do more. And I really felt with Jordan and I really feel with David like we've really got some good rapport going and I really got excited about these interviews and I got off the edge of my seat and we were really going deep into some issues or I just got moving into a load of the questions I really wanted to ask and then we had to finish. And um, I suppose if I'm uh, trying to sort of coach myself in this, you could say that it's better to be ending a podcast wanting more than it dragging out. But I just wanted to sort of share with you a couple of things I've been feeling about my own podcasts. Um, and so it, th there's a very good chance that maybe with Jordan and David and other people, there may be a part two coming uh, sometime in the future. So anyway, enough waffling from me and let's get into the interview with probably one of the most famous, successful golf coaches that there's ever been in the world. Uh, and that is David Ledbetter. Well, thanks for taking your time, David, to do the Pleasure, right? podcast. Um, was there a time in your life where you thought, this coaching is going to go somewhere? You know, this career is going to go big for me. Well, it's interesting. I, I turned professional when I was 18, so I, I had designs. I mean, I was actually a two-handicap player when I turned professional, so I was, uh, went the assistant route, and I grew up in Africa, and in Rhodesia or Zimbabwe as it is now. So although I was born in the UK, but I, um, I, I just really liked golf and so I thought well listen if I can if I don't make it as a player maybe I make it as a teacher or a club professional just something in golf I just enjoyed the sport so much although I played a lot of different sports growing up but uh, just I had a hankering for golf and so 
and my game got much, much better, and, and I thought I had the opportunity to play. But in the, in the interim, while I was trying to play, I was teaching. I was sort of trying to supplement my income. And yeah. so I gave lessons and um, really, really enjoyed that side of it. So, and, and that was actually very easy. Teaching was very easy. I don't know yeah. if it's the art of communication or whatever it is, but I found it very easy to see issues, see problems, be able to fix them and to get the message across. So, mm. so from a very early age, I was, I was teaching and, um, so I found it actually easier than playing. And so, you know, I was, became a decent player and, you know, I played some tour events and, but I, I just really, you know, I think if I'd known then what I know now about the mental side of the game would have been, would have been way better. You know, the psychology part of the game has really only been in the last, I don't know, 20 years maybe, but so back in the day, you know, there was no such thing as sports psychology. Mm. And so we know how important, you know, the old... My dad would have called me a wimp <laughs> saying it was sports psychology. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean, if you, look, if you look at it now, I mean, a lot of players have sports psychologists. It's yeah. just really, I mean, in all sports, not just golf. Uh, so they do help you to sort of sort things out mentally and a lot of it's common sense. And But, you know, golf is such an individual sport that you get very, very hard on yourself. It's not like a team sport where, all right, you can have a bad day if you're a cricketer and you make a duck, but, you know, the team could still make 500 runs. You know, yeah. but in golf, it's like you play badly and it's there right up there, up there on the scoreboard. So it's, it's particularly hard mentally, this game, and probably any individual sport, you know, probably tennis. But golf even more so because – you have so much time in golf. It's like between shots. It's not like, you know, yeah. you're on to the next shot. To beat yourself up in your head about. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So it's a, you know, the, there's a famous sports psychologist in the America called Dr. Bob Rotella, and he mm. said, you have to learn to be your own best friend because a lot of times the way we talk to ourselves, oh, you idiot, you can't play, you, you know, you, you, whatever, you know, you, you call yourself all the names under the sun after you sort of three-putt or you, you know, hit a shot out of bounds. In fact, if you were speaking to your best friend, you'd sort of say, come on now, hey, you can, you can recover from this. Come on, let's yeah. keep going type thing. So it, it, it is. It's a, it, it's a very difficult sport from the mental side of it. And really the top players really probably have the best mental attitudes. Yeah. And what um, you've kicked, fired off about 20 questions in my head now. Mm. So what do you think are those mental edges then for the very best players? Because I guess technically – in the top 10, maybe even top 50, they must be fairly similar. Well, actually, I don't want to make any assumptions. Maybe you could answer that. Well, yes. I mean, if you walk down the practice area of any PGA event, you know, like the Open or what have you, I mean, you look at them all, they all hit the ball well. You know? So what is the difference? You yeah. know, what, what is that difference that sort of separates the, the top echelon from the low echelon? Yeah, there's a, there are certain players, I mean, you know, Tiger during his pomp, uh, Dustin Johnson, uh, I mean, Rory. I mean, there are sort of a certain select group of players that probably maybe have a little bit more talent than the others, uh, albeit that in golf anybody can win at any time. But I think a lot of it is that belief system in yourself, that inner belief, the fact that you can do it, uh, the fact that from, what my, from my standpoint, look, every – I mean, I've worked with players that have won – 23 majors, I think, men and women throughout wow. the years and seven world number one players. And I can categorically tell you that they're all different. They're, there's no, there's no mold for a, a top player. Yeah. There's a, and, and I think it's, it's, I always say that uh, you have to find your own formula, own recipe for success. And the players that do and then stick to it are the ones that really are successful. So you hopefully find it at a pretty young age. The ones that are successful, like a Jordan Spieth, for instance, uh, certainly is found at a very young age. A lot of players in the past probably didn't find it until their 30s. Yeah. And so, but I think the introduction of sports psychologists and you know, other factors too, certainly, but the fact that these players are mentally much stronger now than probably in the past, for the most part, because uh, they have access to these people that can actually help them to formulate ideas and plans and uh, players have what I call a toolbox for success. So if things are going wrong, they know, okay, I've seen this before. I know what I have to do in order to sort of nip this in the bud and off they go again. So it's, it's, it's very interesting how, as I say, that every player is different. Uh, the one thing is that every player is organized in their own way. They, yeah. they know how much golf they need to play, how much rest they need, how much practice they need, how many, you know, what type of workouts they need, what sort of food they need. And once they've got that recipe, 
uh, off they go. And you get seriously talented players, uh, as an example, like a John Daly, who you could probably say is very ill-disciplined through his career. You know, he's won two majors, so there's nothing to sneeze at, yeah. certainly. But yet didn't have that discipline or that organizational skills to really sort of play at the highest level year after year. Yeah. Okay. So if every player has a different formula and it works for them, how does an individual, whether it's in golf or sport or anything, find out their own formula? Is it just a method of testing? Is it getting a good coach? Have you got any thoughts on, because I'm quite inspired by you saying we can all find our own formula because Part of me thought you might answer that question by going, oh, well, the top five mindset tips mm. are. But the fact that you're saying we can all be an individual and still bring a, a good game in business, sport and life, to me, that's quite an inspiring thing. Um, so how can we find our own formula? Well, I think some of it's trial and error yeah. uh, and being willing to learn and be open-minded, uh, taking in ideas from other people. I always say that, look, Learn from the very best. Speak to different people. How, how, have they, how have they become successful? Does that fit in with your way of thinking? And because, say, that's, that's one of the things that you've got to be prepared to learn. Uh, I, you know, and, I mean, even as a coach, I'm learning. Even at my age, at my stage of my career, you're constantly learning. Mm-hmm. And there's a saying that we who dare to teach must never cease to learn. Yeah. And I think that everything's a learning process, if you will, and it's uh, in life and everything else that we do. So... Um, I think the very best really have that ability to sort of find what's really suits them. Um, I say some of it is trial and error, no question about it. Some of it is luck, if you will. Yeah. Some of it is God given, and uh, maybe from a very young age, you know, somebody like a Tiger Woods was uh, given the direction. Uh, I mean, his mother was uh, uh, from Thailand, so they had the Buddhist approach. So there was that sort of calming. Uh, element that she that he was able to learn, and you could see that in his golf because the typical example of Tiger during his heyday, he would hey, he'd lose his temper, he'd get angry, but he was be able to make that switch like that. So it's not as if he carried that anger. Okay, yeah. he was able to sort of say, okay, done, over, let's go forward. Because yeah. the old the old saying in golf, especially in golf, you have to find a way to stay in the in the present. If you're in the past, you're, 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 it's no good. If you're in the future, it's no good. You've got to stay in the present. That's why the old adage, okay, one shot at a time. These things come about because mm-hmm. you've got to focus on each and every shot. Whatever's happened before is done and dusted. Yeah. Whatever's going to happen in the future, you know, maybe there's a hole up front you don't like that's coming up, but too bad. You're right. This is the shot here and now. And so, you know, and looking golf, it's really interesting. You look like a, at a – you know, the greatest player, I think, in my opinion, throughout in, in the game has been Jack Nicklaus. And he probably had the, the very strongest mental attitude. I mean, it was if, uh, and I think a lot of these, to be quite honest, f- to be frank, a lot of great players who have this, the it factor, as Gary Perlis it's the it factor, they don't know quite what it is. And sometimes when they try to work it out, it can actually mess them up. Right. And so they have this sort of it factor, which you say, well, what's the difference between this player and that player? It's, well, he, he or she has the it factor that this person doesn't. So mm. it's a, from that part of it, to some extent, it's still a bit of a mystery. <laughs> so yeah. I suppose that's well, Otherwise, the, everyone would be world number one, wouldn't yeah, they? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, and I suppose that's the uniqueness of it. Why does this player all of a sudden, like, you know, Francisco Molinari, all of a sudden, Okay, three months ago, you weren't talking about it. You were talking about, yeah, he's a very good player. Now you're talking about he's, he's the best player in the world at the moment. He's played, you know, he's finished second umpteen times, won two, you know, three yeah. events or whatever it is, and you know, won the Open, and he's just moved to another level. Obviously, confidence is a, plays a huge factor, and, a, and, a, and as I get back to that belief system, the belief that you can do it, a lot of times you don't know whether you can do it until you actually get there. Mm. And um, we were talking just before we hit record about um, obviously probably one of the most famous people you coach, Nick, Nick Faldo, who was my idol when I was growing up as a young lad playing golf. Um, And I got down to single figure handicaps when I was about 14. So officially nine, eight, something like that, playing a bit better probably. And um, I just compared myself to all the other um, 14 year olds who I knew who were in the Cambridgeshire area who might've been off scratch or two or three. And I just Taught, told myself I wasn't good enough 
And I didn't know at that time that Nick hadn't even started. You said he started when he was 15. 15 years of age. So that's such a... Greg right. Norman, the same thing, actually. Yeah, wasn't he? Didn't he get, take a year to get down to scratch or something? I remember watching a documentary on mm. him. And, and that just like, if only I could rewind my life, <laughs> but obviously I can't. But it's definitely been good lessons for the future. So um, how does one, because this, this belief, it, it, I know that there's the it factor of it, but how does one believe in themselves? Well, belief, I think a lot of it comes, honestly, through success. I mean, uh, you know, there's nothing, com- success breeds confidence, there's no doubt about it. You, you just can't be, well, you've got to be confident. I mean, that's fine. But the fact is that all the, you know, all the ducks need to sort of line up, all the stars need to line up or whatever the term is. And you, well, that belief system is through the fact that, okay, I've done this, been there, done that. And, you know, somebody like a, uh, let's give you an example like a Tiger Woods. I think if we look at the Open that's just being played at Carnoustie, if it if he was in the same position 10 years ago, I think he would have won the yeah. tournament yeah. because he had that belief system that he couldn't lose. It yeah. was like it was drilled into him. You, you're going to win this, okay? And he found a way. Yeah. That, to me, is the difference now between his game now, say then, I mean, he's hitting the ball well, he's, he seems fairly confident, but it's it's like he can't just talk himself into it. It's something that... It's a it's a very abstract thing, this. And so, yeah. as I said, no doubt in my mind, 10 years ago, he would have won that tournament because he, he was at a point where he was leading the tournament and you would have seen him go this way. Mm. This past this past week at Carnoustie went this way. Yeah. And so that's the difference. And so it could have, you know, the fact he probably hasn't been competitive for a, a number of years, uh, hasn't, hasn't played for, you know, really often. He's only played off and on for a couple of years and hasn't certainly been in that in that situation, in the winners, he hasn't been in the winners' circle for a number of years. hasn't won a major for ten years, so it's a it's a whole different deal. So it's a it it, it really it's it's very hard to describe. I mean, you know, sports psychologists determine okay, you've got to get in the zone. Okay, the zone. What is the zone? Well, it's an area where you're almost you're unaware of what's going on. You're sort of so into the moment and. I mean, if players could recreate that, I mean, that's what sports psychologists are there to do to help players to get into that situation. And it doesn't, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And the, there are players that, there are people that sort of somehow have this, uh, say, I don't want to call it the it factor, but it is. It's something that, you know, you take a Gary player. I mean, he's, you know, here's a, a fellow who's won 170 tournaments around the world. He won nine majors. And, he was uh, in the era of the Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer, and he, you know, he he didn't have the same physical talent that these fellows had. But he, his belief system, and he he did it by standing in a mirror and made himself. It was like he willed himself, mm. and so. But not everybody can do that. Not everybody has that type of personality. So yeah. it's a. It's, Isn't that where you step in? Is is your job not to maybe just try and increase people's belief in themselves? Yeah, absolutely. And through listen through. Improving technique and uh, understanding of what they're doing, minimizing mistakes, that all sort of helps to build that confidence level. And that's what you're trying to do. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough task, especially when somebody loses a little bit. I mean, I've, you know, a player right now who's sort of on the verge of getting the Ryder Cup, but he's got what they call Ryder Cup-itis. And it's like, it's, you know, it's frustrating and he's pushing well, and he's, he's right pressing and he's right on the edge. Yeah. And it's like it, you know, all of a sudden he's not playing his, his normal game and it's like he's playing very tentatively. And so it's a, it's, 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 you know, this is a, this is a very, very tough game. You know, as I say, that it's, you know, the six inches between the ears is the longest fairway in golf yeah. and uh, it, it can, it can help you, it can hinder you. And so, I mean, it's not all just the technical aspect of it because you, you can see there's people with, wonderful golf swings out there on the tour and they're good putters and they good, have good short games, but they can't seem to put it all together. But at mm. times when they do put it all together, it's like they're all of a sudden, they just take off. And yeah. uh, it's like, wow, where did that person come from? And yeah. they, they've been building, they've been trending, if we, as we say. Mm. I think um, something I know I used to do, and sometimes I, I do it in my mind with my son, is X happens and that means Y. You know, you have a bad round, that means, oh, you're losing ground on other kids or the progress isn't there or why have you got this flaw in the technique? Where has that come from? Um, and I think that's dangerous. It certainly didn't help me. Um, 
Bobby played in a competition yesterday. He just was a bit tired. It was a bit late. He didn't play very well, and I didn't get a good night's sleep. I thought, I'm a terrible parent. I'm a terrible <laughs> daddy caddy. Why isn't he progressing? I mean, when he was five, he was probably... He probably he scores. He would have probably won the world under six at five. Um, and then sort of five to six, he sort of... His scores didn't go anywhere. Got bigger. Hit it longer, but his putting was worse. Yeah, we went out this morning, just made it a bit more fun. It was free, and he shot a one under gross on his local pitch and putt, which isn't bad for a seven-year-old. Um, do you ever see players have bad tournaments, have situations where they're struggling, and they make it mean they're no good, instead of making it mean it was just a bad tournament, it was just a bad day? Because I know I do that to myself a lot. I make the individual thing mean the whole thing. Right. And I've tried to help try to stop myself from doing that. Right. Well, you know, the old saying is that you're not your golf game, but yeah. unfortunately people are their golf game. It's like, hey, it's just human nature. You play well, you feel good. You play badly, you feel bad. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just human nature. And to say anything different uh, would, be, would be silly because it, it, it does affect your mood. I mean, as I say, I've, I've, as I, I always joke when I give a clinic, I mean, look, I've never seen anybody come off the course say, you know, they've shot the best score of their life and go and kick the dog in frustration. That's, it yeah, doesn't yeah. happen, you know? Yeah. So it, it is, it's a, it's a, it's a main, it's, it's, it's strange how this game does affect people. And especially, look, people, people like to see success and you, but you also have to be realistic in golf. You know, golf is, there's a lot of variables and a lot of elements that go into it. Mm-hmm. And especially when you're talking about kids, I mean, look, kids always progress at different stages. You might yeah. see, you know, a kid being a superstar at seven or eight and then burn out for whatever mm-hmm. reason, you know, and you see other kids who aren't necessarily that good, but they just chip away, they chip away, they chip away, they get a little better, a little better, a little better. And, and it's very dangerous with children because it's like they all progress at different stages. I mean, you see players that you know, could be a superstar at every level. Yeah. Occasionally you see that, you know, like a, probably like a Tiger Woods was, you know, in yeah. his career or a Phil Mickelson. Um, but on the and other that's hand... rare, is it, where they're It's consistent. rare. It's yeah. rare where you see that. But, I mean, you know, they're, they're good at every level, whether yeah. it be junior, junior level or amateur level mm. or, you know, in America, obviously college level and then, you know, the, the professional level. Uh, and you do see you do see a few players, but a lot of the players are players that sort of, uh, hey, they, you know, they they work at it. They, they're patient. They, I mean, you take a player like a Jim Furyk. I mean, he was no great shakes as an amateur player. I mean, yeah. he played number five, I think, on his college team. Yeah. And so, but then when you turn professional, you know, and he had a strange-looking swing, and but he bit by bit by bit by bit, and you know, this this fellow's, you know, won so much money and won a yeah. you know U.S. Open and so on. So it, you, you can never, never tell, and that's the thing in golf. It's like, you know, there are there are times where you look at a player and say, well, listen, I just don't think this player's going to make it for whatever reason. But then on the other hand, you know, I, I've been wrong too. But it's like, whoa, this player all of a sudden has found something. And they've, they've progressed to a whole different level. So especially with kids, I mean, I always say, listen to parents. I mean, parents are always wanting the best for their children. And it's like, you know, I mean, it, it seems there's a, it's, it's particularly so in Asia. We wow. see in Asia yeah. that they're very hard on their children. They, and it's like they, they were making them play three rounds of 18 hole golf a day in the warm-ups to the IMG World under six. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not, oh, yeah we could get Bobby out, we could hardly get Bobby out yeah, for the whole I could, round. I could, I could write a book on this because really? I've, you know, I've taught a lot of Asian kids and it's their work ethic is second to none and they look at it like, okay, if you're becoming a doctor or a lawyer or a musician, okay, you've got to put the, the work in, into it. And, hey, it's, it's true to say, you look, at, you look at the ladies' tour, for instance, LPGA tour, you know, I, I coached uh, a player called Seri Park back in 1998. I taught her for two years. She, you know, she she led this whole wave of players from Korea. I mean, they had one player when she won the first U.S. Open last this last past U.S. Open. They had about 45 players from Korea. So she was sort of the pioneer. Yeah. And these parents saw, okay, this is what we can do for our daughter. Our daughter's going to be a golfer. So, but the problem is, is that they have no balance in their lives. Everything is golf, 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 and not everybody's successful. So, what do the rest do? 
And the other big thing that you have to look at too is that the burnout syndrome, because to say, I think it's so important for kids to have a, a well-rounded life. You know, play other sports, have mm-hmm. other interests, activities, because golf, yeah, it's fun, it's enjoyable. But if, if that's all you have, you know, and if you play well, you're happy. If you play well, you play badly, you're sad. Hey, if you play a bad round of golf, hey, go out and have a game of football with your mates. You know, it's like, it's, it's you know, so there are, there, there is getting this balance. And if you can do that, I mean, you're probably going to have more longevity in your career rather yeah. than just like wham, bam, okay, this person's fantastic at 16 and 17 and then where, where are they when they're 25 and 30 so yeah and I guess that's the great thing about golf which can often be forgotten like I got Bob into golf when he was one really and he was down the range when he was two he got his first hole in one by just uh, turn three he's got five hole in ones now he's seven wow. so he's wow. doing good but you know like he does do martial arts he does do football I, I know I can sometimes be a pushy parent so I'm going to hold my hand up <laughs> but I'm trying to work on myself as much as I am my yeah, son it's not easy um, it's, look I've had the same situation with my children it's like you want the best for them but in the end look it's, it's what's inside of that player you yeah. can guide and direct but it's like how badly do they want it do they, yeah. do they want to get up and go and practice do they want to sort of you know as they get a little older want to go and work out in order to do, mm. do they want to sort of go and take lessons from a really good coach do they rather than say come on come on little Johnny yeah. I'm, I'm taking you along here you know and it's like yeah. and, then, and you see unfortunately you see some players that are pretty good or very good players that don't play it with any sort of pass play the game with any sort of passion they're playing it for the wrong reasons because yeah. their parents want them to play yeah. and uh, I mean there's players on the tour that look at it hey I'm good at it it's a business to me. I don't really love the game. Yeah. And so that's, that's sad, really, because really, you know, golf is a game to be enjoyed and, and you never know where it's going to take you. So yeah. in, in the interim, you know, make sure you, make sure you have a well-balanced life. And yeah. uh, if, if you have that great talent and you're able to sort of, um, how should we say, compartmentalize to a point where, okay, when I'm working on my golf game, I'm putting 100% into it. When I'm doing something else, I'm putting 100% into that. But you can't be, you can't, you can't do golf 100%, 100% of the time. It'll, it'll drive you crazy and nuts. And say that's when players lose it and they, you know, they develop all sorts of psychological problems and depression about the game. And I've seen, right. I mean, this game has driven people mental. It really wow. has. I'm going to rather don't want to have to talk about that. <laughs> um, yeah, this is worth exploring. I'd like to explore this because I get what you're saying that, you know, golf should be a sport we enjoy and we play with passion. Is it a bit unrealistic to think that everybody who ever plays golf, everyone on the tour is going to be like that? And there are going to be some workman types, some journeyman types, some people who'd see it more as a job, some people who absolutely love it but are not great at it. Because it reminds me of Andre Agassi. I read his autobiography. I don't know him personally. But he goes on the whole time through the book how he just hated tennis and he was mm. just forced to do it. Well, he's had a pretty bloody good life. And he yeah. met Steffi Graf, who he married, and I'm like, right, that right. ain't that bad. Right. Um, is that just not the nature that we're all different and... You know, like, because I don't buy that some people wake up and when they're three and it's like, I'm going to be a golfer for the rest of my life. Some people want to do it forever. Some people are forced to do it by their parents. Some people discover it later, like Greg and Mm -hmm. Nick. Is it not just that there's different ways of getting to that goal of being a professional golfer, making a load of money, having a good life, traveling around the world? Yeah, I mean, well, there is that to it for sure. I mean, I'm sure Andre Agassi is uh, making a lot of money out of the book as well, yeah. writing about how I hate tennis. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he's very happy uh, um, with what tennis has given him, mm. and he's able, you know, right now he's able to give back. He has a big foundation yeah. and what have you in Las Vegas. But mm. you know, I mean, at the time, probably he was thought, you know, it was, it, you know, he went through some tough times. Certainly, he did. And it doesn't uh, everyone? I mean, well, everybody does, yes, to a point, I suppose, you know, but and if you come out and you're successful, you can say, well, okay, maybe that was the route that you should have gone. But yeah. for every player that you see successful, there's a lot of people behind the scenes that aren't and have had issues and problems and, yeah. you know, people become this, driven to alcoholism yeah. and drugs and what have you because of the fact that, you know, they set their sights so high and everybody else did. I mean, I've seen players who... You know, were really, really great players at a young age, and have been ruined through the fact that you know the expectation was so high. There was so much pressure put upon was that them. Them or their parents, or a both? combination. Yeah. I think a combination. So and, expectation. Uh, that's a dangerous thing, in your view, is it? Re- yeah, very yeah. much so. Because you just don't know what's around the corner. I mean, yeah. sure, you, you. I'm not saying you don't have goals and you have dreams and what have you, but 
sometimes I think people put too much expectations and it's like, you know, yeah. there's only going to be, in, in golf, there's only one winner, okay? <laughs> you're going to be, if you, yeah. if, if you think you're going to win every time, and look, even the great Tiger Woods at his peak, you know, during those peak years of his, you know, one, one out of five, what he yeah. did. So, I mean, which is unbelievable, yeah. to be quite honest. But yet, um, so there, there's always... Uh, you know, there's a lot of adversity in golf. I mean, you know, there's, uh, and you have to, you have to realize this. It's not just you. There's other people. It's not, yeah. you know, golf is not for the most part a match play thing where one on one you're playing, you're playing a whole host of people, and these yeah. other people all have, uh, you know, talents and what have you. And who knows at any given time? I mean, there are some, so no question, there are some special cases. You look at somebody and say, "Wow, that's, there's something special about this kid or this mm. player or this person." And, and you can't even I can't quite put my finger on what it is, but it's sort of you know maybe it's it's that inner burning desire and that sort of you know they're talented and they and I, I've seen players who hit the ball well and it's like but you know they really couldn't care less about the game to a point where well if I'm good I'm good and maybe they get to a point at some stage where they start to realize I, I mean a great friend of mine who was you know number one in the world for a, a period of time was Nick Price okay mm. now Nick Price. He he was uh, a really really. I mean, he he won the world junior when he was young. I mean, so he was good at sort of every level. But he went. He, he, then he won uh, back in the oh, early eighties, eighty three, I think it was. He won the World Series of Golf. Okay, now the World Series of Golf at that time gave him a ten year exemption on the tour, yeah. and for literally nine years he just putted along it was like okay it's like whatever i've got a nine a ten year exemption and it's like and he didn't actually put his best foot forward i mean he just he'd be the first to admit he sort of went through the motions and enjoyed life and da 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 and then all of a sudden we were talking i said you know nick it's like you know this, this is ni- 1992 i said you got one more year of exemption and he said yeah you're right he said you know we I think I better get going. <laughs> well, he did. I mean, it yeah. was almost as if from that period of time, he for the next two or three years, he was just uh, you know pedal to the metal, and he just I mean he cleaned up. I mean he was you know he he was number one in the world. Him and Greg Norman was up there, and Nick was around. Faldo was there, yeah. and I mean he was a tremendous player. And yet when he got to number one, when he got to number one, he then petered off. It was almost like okay, been there, done that. Is this all there is to it? Okay, and I don't like all the trappings that come with it. You know, there's yeah. so, you know, I mean, I'm not my own person now. There's so much, de- I mean, demands on my time. And you could see he got to number one for a period of time and it was like he then, his game slowly petered off. So it was interesting how he sort of raised his level and then, and so, yeah. but he was talented enough, he was able to do that. And then just, then he took his foot, you know, off the gas, as they say. And yeah. so, um, you know, it, it's it's extraordinary when you look at everybody and, I mean, yeah, I think if you did a, a psychological profile on on every different player, you'd you'd be quite surprised at how you know how they got to the top and how they remained at the top and what their goals and desires were. Some players, you know, their wives sort of push them to, you know, it's like, hey, we've got a certain <laughs> lifestyle, we've got to live. Yeah. You better you better keep out there, you know. And so it's like, uh, but. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And, and the game, the game has changed. It's a huge business now. There's huge money in the game. I mean, you think in terms of, you know. Because what's wrong with taking, choosing golf just because it's a good career? What's. Yeah, no, yeah. there's no, there's nothing wrong with choosing golf as a good career, but you never know if you're going to be successful. I don't care how good you, you don't are. You do anything though. Do no, you, you don't, you it's, don't. But there is a chance, obviously, if you decide that, you know, if you're, if you're very clever and you decide to go to university and you become, you know, you get a degree in finance or what have you, that probably you're going to be successful in some well, form or no shape. No guarantee of a job, is there? No, no guarantee, but, you know, probably more so there's more guarantee than sort of making it at the highest level in golf. Mm. I mean, because very you think about it, how many... But comparing highest level of golf and high lef- highest level of finance is like CEO of Microsoft or something, isn't it? It's true, it's Whereas true, but someone- yet there's a lot more, you know, I mean, there's probably a lot more... You know, if you're, you know, an executive in a, in a finance company or an um, internet company or whatever, there's, there's probably a lot more of those successful people than there are golfers, mm. you know. So, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I always say, look, shoot for the stars. You might hit the moon. Yeah. I mean, because that's what it's all about. And, uh, you know, if, you've, if you're driven and, you're, and you do have some talent and you, your talent is shaped, yeah. uh, that's what I try to do. I mean, it's, it's shaping talent and mm guiding and making suggestions obviously I've had experience working with all these different players and and so uh, and you know it's I mean yes there are rewards there there are rewards at any level at 
in sport in particular at the highest level, if it's football, you know, Ronaldo or you know, cricket or what have you, you know, it's there's um, there are there are definitely rewards, you know, the Dow. I mean, I mean, this goes on and on and on. But you know, there's if you look in tennis, for instance, I mean. You know, the person who's 300th in the world, you know, struggling to sort of get into tournaments and traveling around like a gypsy. I mean, I know, you know, somebody who works for me, their, their future husband, his fiance is 350th in the world and struggling these little mini events around the world. And I mean, have, still have goals and desires yeah. to get there and has Surely a lot of talent. part of the journey of success. Like every great band would have been played in empty pubs, yeah, driving yeah, there in the is. back of a van. Yeah, it is. It's, yeah. it's part of it. But, and it's, the, the thing is, it's like, how do you know? You, you never know. You no. never know if you're actually going to be able to get to that. What, yeah. what changes things? You know? and this, and it, this really plays on my mind because it's like, let's be honest, the odds of you becoming a great golfer, a great sports person, a great successful anything are way against you. Mm. Not even a thousand to one, not even a hundred thousand to one. Right. Yet, do you say to someone, well, the odds are so against you, don't do it, go and get a normal job? Or do you say, you can do this, you can be one of the yeah. 100,000, what do you do? Yeah. Well, you know, golf, golf is interesting because it's different from a lot of other sports because, look, you've got players playing who've almost come to the forefront in their 40s, people like Steve Stricker. Mm. And, I mean, he's certainly had the best part of his career you know, way after the age yeah. of 40. And so uh, would, would somebody have told a Steve Stricker when he was 32, yeah, you listen, you're not going to make could it. Could have ruined you know? his life. Yeah, it's like... But he he found that little something, kept going, kept going, kept going, kept going, and all of a sudden, you know, he he did it. And so, but there are, on the other hand, I've seen players who, you know, just never give up the dream, and they're sort of thirty-five to forty, and it's like, hey, you know, this is not getting much better. I mean, yeah. they've been doing the same thing for twenty years. You know, it's like struggling to make a living and doing a little of this and a little of that, and you know, always. I mean, the dream lives, and the thing in golf now, you've got. Now you've got the senior tour or champions tour, they call it. So you see players fulfill their dreams in their 50s yeah. now. You know? So maybe when they were in their 30s, and you see this in America, you've seen players, they didn't make it in their 30s and their 40s, gave up for a period of time, did something else. I don't know, went to teaching or yeah. whatever, and then came back when they were 50 and are now making a great living out there. So that's the great thing about golf. It, yes. it's, 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 it, you know, the, the, as I like to say, the golf ball doesn't know how old you are. You know? yeah. So it's not like other sports where – you know, 35 at tennis, I mean, how many players have been successful at that age, you know, yeah. I mean, apart from Roger Federer, you know? Mm. I completely agree. One of the reasons I wanted to get my son into golf, parking the fact that I didn't make it, part that <laughs> one, cause it, yeah, but like, like you made an amazing career as a coach, there's that option, um, or even not the level of you, you can still be a great coach, you can, right. you know, look after kids and make a difference. You can go tour, seniors tour, course <laughs> design, business around. I mean, the, yep. like you said, the business around oh, golf. You know, that, the it's great. a businessman's dream to be in the golf industry. Absolutely. You know, like I'm I mean, addicted to a new set of clubs every two years and I'm, I can't even get under 12 at the moment. And I still have a set of Callaway Epics yeah. convincing myself. No that, doubt. Look, I, I always say to parents, look, whatever happens in the game, if your kid, if your child becomes a, a really good player, okay, maybe they don't make it at the highest level. But let's face it, I mean, if you're going for a job interview, okay, and in business, say, and you're a scratch handicap, Done. and the guy that's you know, <laughs> interviewing you is about a 12, he's going to say, right, you're my man, okay, right. and or my girl, or whatever, mm. you know, woman. Um, you know, to be politically correct these days, but I mean, it's like my daughter, for instance, who's a, she went, she started golf when she was 13, couldn't stand the game, was a, was a horse rider, you know, mm. was a jumper, show jumper, decided to get into golf, got a scholarship to play at university and now she's got a top job at one of the leading mag golf digest magazines and it's all through golf i mean she's yeah. a good player she won tournaments she didn't decide she didn't want to go the professional route and so but through golf she you know she's elevated herself so mm -hmm. and and the great thing about golf honestly for kids in particular is that it's such a life learning exercise. There's so many parallels to life. You know, the fact, okay, you've got to work hard. You've got to be, have honesty. You've got to have integrity. You've got, you know, there's, there's so many factors uh, that, are, you know, actually develop a really good person. I mean, mm. the kids that play golf generally, I mean, are really good quality kids. Mm. I mean, I'm not saying you might not necessarily get them in other sport, but particularly in golf because it relies on, you know, you're, you're policing yourself. I mean, you know, you don't have a referee with you, you know, yeah. unless you're playing the Ryder Cup or something on every hole. How many hole. goes wrong? The spotlight's on you. So if you're in a team, you, you can not be at the front, but then you can hide in the back when it goes wrong. But 
I mean, you, you that's don't it. Get you, your you score right or whatever you're out. You are your score. Yeah. That's it. You know, what it's happened like, with Phil Mickelson recently with that <laughs> yeah. moving ball. Like, no, I don't know, but I think he just he lost his mind completely. I think the US Open uh, sometimes yeah, can do that. I too. think that's forgivable. I mean, it's <laughs> a high pressure situation, isn't it? Well, yeah, you you know, you wouldn't expect it. For, I mean, just thinking back to that, it was it really was quite funny. It was. I, mean, I thought it was. Like, what the I heck think he it just be? you could see in his he face completely like, lost yeah. the plot. There. It's yeah. like, it's like, but I mean, the amount of times that you know Phil and many. Pros, hours and hours and hours of signatures, auto, autographs. The, how great he is with the kids. The banter he has with the kids on the side. Yeah, he's fantastic. Now that gets forgotten, doesn't it? Yeah, he it does. I mean, he's a guy that you know he'll stay till the very end to sign every autograph, and uh, you know he's a hero to yeah. a lot of people. I mean, it's, he's, he's an interesting character, and he always he always has time for people. And yeah. so, I mean, it's interesting how Tiger's sort of changing a little bit now. You know, he's sort of yeah, you know, yeah. He's, it's he, nice he to see. Yeah, anyway. well, people change. You know, mm. I mean, hey, you know he. Tiger doesn't seem to be the same person he was there. No, but you know, so. I think you can see the gratitude in his eyes that you never saw. Yeah, well, he took it for granted. I mean, yeah. you know, and his father brought him up in a, in a in a very closed environment and saying, "Hey, you're going to be the best. You don't have to worry about anything else. You just focus on what you have to work on." And mm. and you know, it was almost as if he wasn't given any life skills, you know, and it was just all golf, 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 mm. and so. You know, I mean, things happened in his life, and I'm sure he regrets all that now. But I mean, you know, it's, I suppose it's never too late to change. You know? Yeah, and he's still got the golf element. Nothing can take that away from him. Can no, it? absolutely. I mean, look, he's. Uh, I mean, you only have to look at the crowds and what he does, and how he, you know, how he moves the old needle. You know, he certainly yeah. does, and so. Well, you know, when he, he went seven under in the Open after the ninth, and he was. Ahead, but Bobby's playing in a golf competition, so I was just BBC Sport refreshing it every two minutes. But just how did everyone get like, oh, it's all happening again? He's just box office, isn't he? Oh, he is. I mean, he's uh, he's he's magnetic. He yeah. really is. And uh, but it's 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 good to see. I mean, because the thing is, you know, ten years ago, you ask any kid who they wanted to be like mm. to be Tiger Woods. Yeah, you go and ask kids now that. Not many of them at, of that age, they don't know who Tiger Woods is. It's Ricky Fowler, you know, yeah. with all the gear, you know, yeah. what have you, you know. <laughs> yeah. so, and so it's nice to see that uh, I was listening to an interview of a, of a kid. He must have been, I don't know, seven or eight. He said, who do you want to win? Oh, I want Tiger Woods to win. So yeah. you only have to be sort of in the mix for a while. And, you know, it's, it sort of becomes a sort of a, a fan favorite of any age. And so mm. it's, it's, you know, he's great. He's great for the game. I mean, he really turned things around. And, and the, the tour players have a lot to be thankful for. With uh, as they they were in the past with Arnold Palmer, who changed things tremendously with television and what have you. Yeah, uh, and so with Tiger Woods, I mean, the reason they're playing for these huge, huge amounts of money is because of Tiger. I mean, mm. there's no doubt about it. So I mean, it's almost as if you know they they should be giving sending yeah. him a percentage, you know, of their yeah. winnings. Yeah, and the business side of golf is that a side of golf that you're interested in, or do you just see it as a sort of a necessary evil of the game? Because, you know, I think businesses are quite a creative thing, like sport is. It's, yeah. Um, well, it's it's interesting. I mean, you know, I I had no design on all the things, that all the trappings that come with what I was doing, the success I was having with players. But, you know, through that, with you know, in the early years, there were books and there were videos and there were teaching aids. And now, you know, and academies. I mean, we have over 40 academies around the world, including the new one here at Stoke Park, which mm. we're really excited about. And so we've... We're opening a number of, you know, we're opening a new one in Dubai. And so, you know, people want to learn. People want to learn to play. So part of my job now is helping to train coaches. Uh, so for for the future and the fact that, look, if golf is going to grow, I mean, you've got to, it's got to be taught in such a way. Remember, we're living in, in an era where people don't have a whole lot of time to play. I mean, you can ask probably the biggest, the biggest issue that most people have is lack of time. Yeah. Their family, they might have families and what mm. have you. So it's, it's great that your son plays because then it's a good excuse for you to play. Yeah. But I mean, you know, a lot of people don't have that luxury, and so you know, people stop playing because it's it's time consuming. So we have to find sort of new ways and to sort of I won't say redevelop the game, but sort of give new ideas to the game that keeps young people involved and keep it interesting. And uh, maybe hey, maybe have nine hole events, maybe and you know change rules at clubs where you know you're not. Dress, you know, people want to yeah. play in jeans and what have you. Who cares, you know? But yeah. I mean, because people are different now than they were thirty years ago. You know, I mean, there's some clubs that still insist that you wear long socks when you go out and play. You know, so what, what's all that about? <laughs> you know, so I mean, so uh, so my goal really, look, I mean, it's, it's helping to try to grow the game through coaching and better experiences for people, making it more fun. 
I always say, look, if you want to grow the game, make the game easy to play for people. So mm. when they don't have a whole lot of time to play, you know, I wrote a book a couple of years ago called The A-Swing. It's, it's, it's been a really well read and sold. It's, you know, we sold, I don't know how many, you know, 100,000 books or something already, mm. but it's, it's been well received. But part of it is there's, there's a seven-minute practice plan. So I, I figured the fact that people don't have a whole lot of time, but they can at least spend seven minutes, maybe two or three times a week at home doing little things to develop and feel their swings. Yeah. They don't, maybe don't have time to go to the driving range. And yeah. we're living in an age of technology, everything now. You can go on YouTube and there's probably seven, over, I think there's over 7 million bits of advice on the golf swing. Wow. You know, so you, you can <laughs> go nuts on it, you know, yeah. like, you know and, and, you know, that's the way we're going. But, uh, you know, we use a lot of technology in our teaching now, and uh, which is all well and good, but it still relies on the teacher. And so we train coaches to, you know, help with juniors. And uh, mm. at, at Stoke Park, they've got a wonderful junior program where they sponsor kids to sort of, you know, everything's paid for, for their coaching and their, you know, their, their workouts and their, they've got sports psychologists. Yeah. They've got uh, Paul McVeigh, the former, you know, Norwich City player mm. and uh, he's a sports psychologist now comes and speaks to the kids. So all things like that, which are really, I mean, which is great in growing the game because I say you've got to, if you're going to grow the game, you've got to grow it at, at the youth level, okay? Yeah. It's, it's hard for a lot of people, you know, in their, you know, 30s and 40s if they're going to find more time to play golf. So, if we instill that, if we instill the, the that urge and that love of the game and the passion of the game at a young age, people will probably play. And the fact is, too, if we can help people who don't have a lot of time to play, if we can help them to play better, mm. uh, they're going to more more inclined to play. If you're not playing well, you think, "Oh, what the hell with it? We're not going to we're not going to go out today. We're well, you know, going to spend the day with the family." But yeah. if you know you're playing well, you can't wait to get to the golf course to go and tear it up. You know, yeah. so and it's you know the game is growing. It's, in certain areas, and I mean, in the UK, it's declining. In America, it's declining. Wow! Uh, at at a, at a not so much at the junior level, but at the at the at the adult level. Right. But yet, in Asia, it's really growing. It's uh, they're looking. I mean, like China, for instance, they're looking at it that. Hey, we've got a chance to win a gold medal, and the Olympics is a huge deal to them. And mm. they're one of their players, Shang Shang Fong. She won a bronze medal at the last Olympics, and now they're putting putting a lot of resources into golf now where for a time they're actually digging up golf courses. They said, no, this is too much of a Western capitalistic sport. Yeah. Uh, but now they're sort of more into it. So Asia, Korea and uh, Thailand, really, really growing. So, and s certain countries in South America, that's growing too. You know, so Europe is a sort of uh, fairly stagnant. And mm -hmm. uh, so we've got to see what we can do and, and the States as well to try to sort of grow this game. Yeah. I wonder if there's anything that can learn from cricket. Um, I think cricket's still in flux. I'm quite into cricket as well. But of course, the, you know, the test match and then there's the 40, 50 overs uh, and then there's the 20 overs, 20, the 20, yeah. 20. They're 20, even talking 20. about 10 overs now, which yeah. maybe a There's a new one, 100 rigid. balls, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, something right, like yeah. that. And it's not, the 2020 wasn't just the 20 overs. It was the party, the music. They had the microphones, right. the yeah. cams and right, everything. Right, and right. I think they definitely developed the game because if you look at how the players hit the ball now, you know, yeah. KP, one of my favourite players, I mean, he, <laughs> that, that reverse hit that he does and they can all do the paddle over their head yeah. and that came from the 2020 trying to hit the ball um, yeah, sure. harder and, and get quicker runs. So do, you, so do you think maybe golf could do with a bit of modernisation, speeding up, a bit more excitement, razzmatazz, cheering? You, when was it? It was, what, was it the Ryder Cup? where one of the players teeing off, I think it was one of the Americans, got them to cheer. Bubba, Bubba Watson. Watson, that yeah, was it. Yeah. And I actually thought, wait a minute, this could be good. <laughs> yeah. Because everything's... <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a certain amount of tradition in golf, obviously mm. probably even more so than cricket. And, uh, you know, I mean, obviously you go back to, um, you know, the, the, the greats of the game in the past, you know, like Harry Varden and J.H. Taylor and what have you. And it, it, there's a certain tradition. Um Golf. That can still be honoured, can't it? The test it, matches. It can, yeah, and, and they're trying. I mean, on yeah. the European tour now, you, you're seeing they had this um, shot clock thing that they did. You yes, know, you got, you know, that, great idea. Yeah, I think uh, that they. I think it was in, was it Sweden or Denmark? One of the, mm. I don't know, someplace. Anyway, it was it was a good idea, and yeah, you know, they've, they've got this. They've got this um, um, match. These the six holes deal that they're playing. So they're trying to jazz things up a little bit. You know, you you see in uh, in America. I mean, the, the most probably the most one of the most noted tournaments is, is in Phoenix and they have this whole, the 16th hole where it's like an amphitheater and these people, 
you know, they've had a number of drinks from about eight o'clock <laughs> in the morning. They're there all day, and it's like they shout and cheer, and it's mm. like I mean, it's 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 you know, some players don't like it because yeah. it's 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 a little different. But you're right. I mean, they've got to find some different things to to capture people's imaginations. And I mean, obviously, 2020 in cricket has done an unbelievable job. You just look at the you know the IPL. I mean, mm. what, it's, what it's done over there. I mean, you know, you get Test matches over there. Nobody watches. You get IPL. The grounds yeah. and the money that's gone in. into it. Yeah, exactly. So. So yeah, they, they, I'm sure they, you know, the powers that be are thinking about how can we sort of change things up because look, you get tournament after tournament after tournament after tournament, and you can't remember if it's a Czech Open or the you know BMW or that. It's like who knows? I mean, yeah, you can certainly remember who won the majors yeah. probably, but uh, it it needs. Uh, I think it does need jazzing up a little bit there, and some interesting things uh, could. Uh, could happen, um, you know. I mean, I don't know whether they're going to get quite like football, where they're going to be cheering and shouting and screaming. I mean, that was a sort of a one-off at the Ryder Cup. But the right, I mean, I think the Ryder Cup. If you look at the Ryder Cup, I mean, obviously it's such a different format, and the popularity of that event oh, is just, it's just amazing. incredible. Yeah, it it's really like is. The ashes in cricket. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's just fantastic, and mm. you know, it's it's man on man. It's gladiator versus yeah. gladiator. <laughs> it's like you know, there's a needle and there's mm. this and there's that. I think it's great. Yeah. I mean, I think you know, the Ryder Cup to me is one of the most it, it's it's a sporting spectacular, it really is. And so whether people follow it, whether they play golf or not, just from the, yeah. you know, just from the the ambience of the whole thing, it's just incredible. So, I mean, it's unfortunate, it's only once every two years, you know, it really is. But then if it was every year, it might not be quite you No, know, you're right. It's like, but something on those lines, you know, yeah. uh, you know, they've, they've, they've tried it with the President's Cup team, which is sort of, the US versus the rest of the world, excluding Europe. And, and it hasn't sort of taken off. I mean, yeah. it's the Americans have won it so often, it's sort of a bit one-sided, and it's, mm. you know, the fact of the Ryder Cup, it's so close, so, you know, any any team could win. I mean, the, and uh, it, so the build-up is fantastic. So, yeah, I think that, I, I definitely think there could be some sort of 2020 element placed into golf. Uh, I mean, I think this, you're still going to get, look, you've still got die-hard um, spectators who want to watch test cricket it's a different form of sport mm. uh, a different form of the game shall we say really uh, from a standpoint you know, it's five days and mm. you know you still might not get a result but uh, it's it, uh, I think I think they can they can work hand in yeah. hand I mean you know, IPL and 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 you seen like Josh Butler he plays all forms of the game yeah. doesn't he so you know, because I love cricket. I mean, I, I, yeah. even though I live in the States, I watch a lot of cricket. You know, people, say, people would say, what do you do to relax? I say, I watch cricket. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's yeah. funny because it's, you know, it's very, uh, yeah. very calming. And, um, well, from the consumer, the audience, the fans' perspective, it's great that you've got Test and 2020 and one day. Right. Uh, and then you've got the IPL. And, like, I mean, I'm big a big bash, fan of cricket. Yeah, yeah, the Big Bash. And, like, they're playing all year now, aren't yeah, they? I mean, right. There's hardly any gap between the ashes anymore. No, that's probably one thing. Obviously, they've got to try to work out how do you get a player from getting burnt out and yeah. playing too much and getting injured and so on. So there is that aspect to it. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I, I do think they could do some some different things. You know, they, they, they used to, in golf, not so many years ago, we used to call a silly season. You know, they used to have, you know, these, these sort of, matches and what have you and uh, these skin games that they yeah. as they used to call them and they were very very popular so i think doing something like that i mean just uh, it's just something different you know mm. because you've got to you've got to create interest i mean look you know the the average punter goes out there and has a few bets it'd be nice to be nice to see a sort of a phil mickelson tiger woods challenge well they were talking about that yeah they, they were they, they were but that, that, i mean yeah. how many how many people think would we'll watch that yeah you know really just oh, like you know, get a little you know, be a bit like a boxing match you know yeah. they get up there and they they weigh out you know and they sort of stare at each other and they okay let's get going here you know yeah yeah look i could sit here and talk all day <laughs> um uh, getting time warnings and all sorts oh, right, but right, i'm right. gonna nick a bit more time if that's all right that's fine so there's two main things and then we'll just go into a quick fire if that's all right so a couple of things that you mm. um picked up on um well one of them i'd like to talk about if it's all right because i was probably nick faldo's biggest fan when i was a kid um and a lot of people have an opinion of Nick, of how he was as a person, and I don't like to listen to any of that because I like to talk to people who know him. Right. Um, but, you know, I think he inspired a generation in golf. Uh, and um, so what did you learn from Nick? Uh, and um, What did you help Nick with? Just talk about sort of you coaching Nick and 
um, what you learned from him, what he learned from you and, and, and what he's like? Well, I think we both helped each other's mm. careers. I mean, he helped my career as a coach and I helped his career as a player. And so it was a win-win situation. And we, had, we actually had a really good relationship for uh, a number of years, like 13 years, 14 years we were together. So it wow. was really very successful. You know, he won six majors. Yeah. And when we first started working together, you know, he, his, his, his term, which has been often used, was, well, throw the book at me because I need a change. I want to be the best. And he said, I don't care how long it takes, what you have to do. So when you've got a sort of clean canvas like that, it's like, okay, you've got license to sort of <laughs> do things and regardless of what happened. And I mean, and it was, I mean, I tell you what, talk about tenacity. You know, he, he didn't care what anybody thought, what was happening, how he played. He just, we just both had a goal and were driven to sort of see that, okay, we know, somehow we both knew that it would work out okay in the end. We weren't quite sure when. Uh, I, I sort of had an inkling and I told him in the beginning, it, this is probably a two-year process. I hope you're ready for this. And he said, yeah, no problem. And it was amazing how it actually was almost two years yeah. <laughs> that this thing took. Uh, and in the interim, I mean, yeah, he went through some very hard times and he played poorly and he, uh, you know, it was like people were writing him off and, you know, they were certainly, you know, they weren't my biggest fans because here I'm messing up their blue-eyed boy, you know, and so... <laughs> Obviously, he'd already won the order of merit over here. He won a tournament in America, but he was bound and determined. He said, "Look, I want to win the Open. Okay, that's what he wanted to do." And and we sort of because he couldn't, he didn't flight the ball very well. He was always sort of a player, sort of ballooned the ball. So you know, if any sort of wind, he was in trouble. Mm. So we went about, you know, we we I mean, we really went to town. And so, so when you say you had free reign and you went to town, what you could, well, you tested some. Stuff you wouldn't maybe have done with other players on him, did you? Or? Yeah, I mean, I had my set ideas on what, you know, how I would sort of do things. And then there were a lot of players you couldn't do that with because they weren't prepared to sort of yeah. sacrifice it. Because uh, it's risky, isn't it? Very risky. Yeah. I mean, hey, you know, I mean, although we sort of had an inkling it was going to work, we, you still never knew it was very risky. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, he, he, he could have, would have never heard of Nick Faldo, if, no. you know, if he hadn't had that. But he had that inner drive, inner strength. I mean, he worked and he worked. Talk about, you know, a work ethic. Yeah. Mm. And it was, it was amazing. And I mean, and to me, it, it was great because here, here's a player who, you know, I was able to sort of help to drive and to guide. And he would, he would be, you know, he was the best student in the world. I mean, right, he couldn't yeah. get a better student than that. Somebody said, okay. And as long as he understood what he was trying to do, I mean, you know, it was, it was sort of the, the age where video started to come into it. So we used a lot, a lot of video and uh, all these teaching drills. You know, you see old pictures of Nick Fowler with a beach ball between his <laughs> knees, all sorts of stuff. But people still come up and say, hey, I'm still working on that old Nick Fowler yeah. thing. And, and so, um, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I learned a lot from him, just the fact that, you know, and you're right, he was a pioneer. I mean, he, I mean, I think our relationship, the player-coach relationship, really started a whole, you know, uh, a whole load of other player-coach relationships. Even when Butch Harmon came after us with the Greg Norman and so on. But I think that what what he and I did together sort of set the stage really for uh, future coach-player relationship. I mean, back in the day when I was working with Nick. Very few players had coaches per se. They might have had their local club professionals sort of do yeah. little odds and ends with them, but nobody had full time coach. It, it, I mean, no, it just wasn't really heard of. John Jacobs was doing a few things and what have you with players like Elazabal and what have you, but it just wasn't the case. And so, but you go out there today. I mean, you know, players have got more than one coach. You know, they've got the swing coach, they've got a performance coach, they've got a a putting coach, a short game coach, you know, a workout coach, a nutritionist, you know, they've got a whole entourage, you know. Yeah. So it changed the way things, uh, uh, the, the way people went about things. And so uh, he, I mean, what I learned from Nick, I learned the fact that, you know, if you really put your mind to it and you have the talent and you, you're prepared, prepared to go that extra mile, that you can get there. And, you know, he was just so bound and determined. There was nothing that was going to deter him from getting to where he wanted to get to. Mm -hmm. And he and he got there. You know, it was just, I mean, when he won that, the Open at Muirfield in 1987, you know, you had, with 18 pars in the final round, mm -hmm. it was just like, whew, you know, everybody, you know, all of us on the team sort of let out a sort of, a, uh, it was like a, just a, a relief more than anything else, knowing that, okay, that the, the endeavors of all the hard work sort of came to fruition. And uh, mm -hmm. I mean, he, you know, he's still, you know, there's no question he was, you know, Britain's greatest player ever. And yeah. so, uh, I mean, I guess got, there's a, an element of luck of finding a player like that to coach. Yeah. I mean, it's all, you know, it, you know, he sort of 
really inquired. I mean, he, he'd heard about me. I mean, I'd actually played in a tournament way back when in, in South Africa with him. And, uh, you know, and I, he, you, know, you could see he was a big strapping guy and, uh, um, you know, had you know, he was, you know, pretty young at that stage, early 20s. And so, so I, I knew about him. And then he, he and Nick Price actually were very friendly in the early years. And so he inquired, you know, what – about me through Nick, and so uh, that's he. And it was in uh, 1985 that we sort of got together, and it was, um, you know, the, I suppose the rest is history, as mm. they say. You know? Well, look, I would love to stay forever. <laughs> we have to go. I can see some faces behind. So um, <laughs> no well, we got we got three of our 15 questions done. <laughs> no, like, I really enjoyed it. No, thank yeah, you, David. No, um, what what are you doing at the moment? Have you got any books or anything? You just anywhere you'd like to send us where people can inquire about coaching or learning from you? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I mean, we have we have three academies in the UK. We have one up at Wynyard, we have one in Leeds, and we have our latest one here at Stoke Park. And we've got a the, the thing that I'm into now is really training coaches. So we have a mm. great team of coaches here, and uh, you know, we've I've got I've got this new this this relatively new book out called The A Swing, which has been very very successful in America and. Uh, you know, you can you can get it online, and it's uh, it's it's really a very simple way for a lot of people to to play the game. Yeah. And uh, there's certain elements that I've. It's not that I had an epiphany one morning and wrote a new book. It's sort of an extension and evolution of what I've always believed in. Mm. And uh, very very simple. And uh, for the average golfer, it, it's you know, or the the person doesn't have a lot of time to play and practice. It's a very easy way to to swing and say it's not anything radical and a lot of the stuff we work on in the book is what I work with tour players Mm. so it's not purely just for high handicappers say but uh, it it is uh, so look look for the A swing you can go on you can go on YouTube and find it and uh, at uh, my website ledbetter.com and so it's uh, but so you know to me look I I love teaching I love coaching I still have a great passion for it. Uh, I don't people say, when are you going to retire? And it's like, well, I don't know. I don't know what I do. You know, it's like uh, go out and play golf every day, and yeah. whatever, you know. But uh, so, and, you know, helping the youngsters is what it's all about. And so mm-hmm. I wish uh, you and your, and Bobby, uh, all, all the best there. Just be patient. That's all yeah, I say. Be yeah, patient. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know. Long career. It's ahead. a long career ahead of him. Yeah. Thanks a lot, David. Cheers, mate. Thank you.